I want this episode to begin with previously, previously on Hidden Jukebox. <laughs> and then I'm going to drop in you saying, I, I bet you can't play Streets, Barrett, Fade Out. And, okay. And then we're going to drop in me playing it. I don't know if you're serious or joking right now, but... I'm completely serious. Let's do this. Okay. Here's the story of Radiohead. Creep hits MTV in 1992. It's a huge hit, but everyone compares it to Smells Like Teen Spirit. The album, Pablo Honey, named for a line from a Jerky Boys tape, is forgettable. Smells like a one-hit wonder. The Benz comes out in 1995, and now it's clear we have to take Radiohead seriously, and they're going to be around for a long time. Here's another story of Radiohead. When Matthew went to college in fall of 1993, Pablo Honey was playing out of, oh, 60% of all dorm rooms. Critics loved the Benz, but it didn't sell very well, and a listener could be forgiven for wondering again if this was the last we'd ever hear of this sensitive British band. Do these lads from Oxfordshire have what it takes to go all the way? Today on Hidden Jukebox, we're talking about Radiohead's sophomore album, The Benz. I'm Matthew. And I'm Jake. And this is Hidden Jukebox. So I did not know until I started researching for this episode that uh, Radiohead's first album was named for a line from the Jerky Boys. And this is now my favorite thing. Pablo? Pablo, honey? honey. Pablo, come back to Florida. My favorite part of that is, Pablo, you you bastard. <laughs> Give it, like, can you imagine, like, someone who, who, like, was introduced to Radiohead in, like, I don't know, 2007, and, like, vaguely knows who the Jerky Boys are, and learning that there is a connection between these two cultural touchstones. Well, I haven't mentioned once on this show yet that I'm a musician, so I'll mention it now. I'm Great. a musician. Uh-huh, cool. And, and uh... It is very, very hard to name a band. In fact, Radiohead is admittedly a terrible name for a band. Uh-huh. But it's really easy to name albums. You come up with, with album titles just about oh, every week. I, I thought you were you were gonna you were like halfway through that sentence like it's really hard to name a band that doesn't have some connection to the jerky boys. <laughs> <laughs> my next band is called And I Fell Down the Stairs and, and my, my shoes, shoes fell off. off and I was very hurt by this. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> hey, so let's talk about the bends a little bit. I mean, I mean, since that's the topic of this episode, I am on board. Okay. Obviously, everybody knew who Radiohead was by the time this album came out. Yes. Because Pre- they had a huge, one huge hit single. Huge hit single that felt like it was going to be a one-hit wonder. Yeah. I, I agree with everybody else that that entire album was forgettable. It was a bit of a Nirvana ripoff. I mean, I think there's some good stuff on that album. I think I think they're... It, it deserves, like, a little backlash to the backlash, but it's not their best album. Well, I don't hate it. I just don't go back and listen to it yeah, and go, I, I yeah, don't this, this yeah, is, you're right. I, I don't go back and listen to it, it at all. And uh, admittedly, this was probably the easiest episode of this show so far for me to research because I still listen to this album monthly. Yeah. It is so unbelievably good start to finish. And one of the first things that I want to talk about, aside from the fact that this came out the, the same year as one of my favorite albums of all time, Hootie and the Blowfish's Cracked Rear View. <laughs> no one's going to know if you're serious or not. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if you know. Uh, we'll, we'll leave that up to the listener. I don't want to be with you. <laughs> that was a terrible video, too. Um, this band, more than just about any that I can think of, seems to have an evolution in sound every time that they put out an album. Yeah. And it's really incredible 
we we talk a lot about how bands in the '90s would put out out albums that worked as a cohesive set of songs. This band seems to put out album after album that seems like each album is part of a lineage that is an evolution in sound for them. Yes, and but every time there's like there's like one song on the album that hints at like what the next one is going to sound like. And at least right? one song on the album that hints at what the last yes. album was like. And they do this so incredibly well. Now, is it intentional? They're probably just writing music based off of how their tastes have evolved since the last time. But you think about a band like Tool and mm-hmm. Tool has always sounded the same. Maynard's voice kicks in. You know who it yes. is. They have that really signature sound with the heavy bass, the screaming guitars over it. Radiohead, once Tom's voice comes in on any song, you know who it is. Right. But in terms of the, the sounds that they create, it's just a constant evolution. So I listened to the Benz, which was certainly not a sophomore slump, and on some tracks you can really hear the band that made Pablo Honey. Yep. And on other tracks, you can hear them heading towards OK Computer. Yeah, there, there are a couple of tracks on this album that I don't care for very much. And, and you just nailed it. It's the ones that remind me of Pablo Honey. You son of a bitch. I know. It's it, two two songs that are that are not my. I, favorite. I have to know what they are now because I love this entire album. Okay, they uh, one of them one of them I think you're gonna like say okay I get that and then the other one you're gonna you and every other listener are gonna be mad. Uh, the two that uh, are not my favorite are Sulk. I knew that was gonna be one of them. And Black Star. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, that song is so incredible. The guitar line from that song is so incredible, and it's not one of the songs we're gonna play today, but. Uh, it's really amazing. I I thought you were going to say either high and dry or uh, fake plastic fake trees. Fake plastic trees. No, I like them both. Yeah, they're they're both great songs. Uh, let's start out by listening to something, and we'll dive a little bit more into this album after that. Okay, great. Should uh, we start with the opening track? Yes, let's do that. Planet Telex. the one actually of all the songs on the album that reminds me the most of OK Computer. And it's possibly because of the lyrics and the title uh, as, as much or more than the music, but it's got it really like crystallizes like where they're going to be going for quite a while with like the alienation, uh, you know technological alienation themes. Right. They, they get away from that we're sad rock star type of mm-hmm. mentality in their lyrics and they start getting into what the hell is he talking about Right type of, type of stuff. Uh, the rumor mill back in the day before we had the internet said that the sounds at the beginning of this song coming from Johnny Greenwood's amp were a happy accident and they, they 
accidentally decided to start the album that way. Uh, reading about I today, I don't think there are any accidents on I, this album. Yeah, I, I couldn't find anything about that. What I did find was that this track was recorded when the band had gone out one night and were having writer's block, got drunk, and came back, and the vocals were recorded with Tom York lying on the floor drunk. That I can believe. Yeah, and boy, it came out pretty good considering all of that. Uh, yeah, it's terrific. Uh, um, th- this this song, I think, is one of my favorite intro songs to any yeah, album ever. Absolutely, the way that it kind of slowly brings you into the feeling of what the entire album is going to be, and it's tough for us to play the ends of tracks, but the whole guitar line at the end of this song is really, really incredible, and is. It kind of shows what Johnny Greenwood was going towards in all of his sound from there on out for up to Kid A, which granted was only two albums later and was a major turning point for them. But that real arpeggiated, uh, reverby type of tone that he got on just about everything. Um, and also the the uh, the way the bass line kind of, uh, I don't know, you're the bassist. <laughs> Johnny's brother Colin Greenwood yes, and yes, what he I, does, you mean? Yeah, but like it, it like walks around in a, in a very Radiohead kind of way that like... Uh, what what is the song on OK Computer that that has do 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 do? Uh, that's the first track on the album, which is Air, Airbag. Airbag. Okay, so so that the the bass in this song reminds me of the bass in Airbag. Yeah. Okay. Part uh, of the uh, evolution. Let's see. Let's see if I can uh, hit some of the the uh, outro guitar from Planet Telex. Two things so cool about that. One, the way that they bring back in the sound from the beginning of the yes. song. Two, the way that he creates a guitar line that is singable. And he does that a lot on this album where it, it yes. doesn't mimic any of the lyrics. Yeah. It doesn't mimic anything else that's going on in the rest of the song. It just comes in and you're just humming along with it. Yes. It's uh, so, so good. Oh, this is going to be like a, such a disgusting love fest, this whole <laughs> this whole episode. Well, except that you already talked about two songs that you don't like. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't have any issues with any songs on this album, but it doesn't mean that I love everything that Radiohead's ever done. And to speak oh, to that Oh, no, me bit, neither. Yeah. Uh, I, I was having a conversation this week with somebody when I was talking about doing this album where they said... Uh, I feel like it's just always a love fest with people in Radiohead. Like it's all that they care about music. As oh they yeah, can yeah. There are no some. Wrong. There are some real Radiohead assholes. Yeah, and I don't pretend to be one of those. I have seen the band six times since 1996. I've never seen them live. Oh man, they they are still one of the best live bands out there, production wise, performance wise. It especially when you start diving into their stuff from. Uh, uh, Kid A on uh-huh. the idea of them being able to perform that stuff live, yeah. without backing tracks, yes, make it true. sound like the the albums. It's really incredible. Um, speaking of production, this this album was produced by John Lecky, who has produced two of my other favorite albums. Um, so John Lecky, um, he came up as an engineer at Abbey Road. He worked with Lennon, McCartney, Harrison, Clapton, and Pink Floyd. Um, and he produced the Stone Roses. Oh, self-titled. the first album, yes. 
Uh, he produced this album, and he produced the Posies Dear 23, which is not a super well-known album, but is very good. That's random. So English um, bands and a local Seattle band. Yes, and, and he did a bunch of XTC albums and like lots of English stuff. Did he produce Making Plans for Nigel? Uh, I'm not sure. Man, I love that song. It's a good song, yes. <laughs> uh, so Radiohead, they, like we said, they had, uh, they had their huge hit, Creep, um, and then they they went on kind of like a <laughs> sort of media tour about how annoyed they were that they had this hit song. Well, they did two years of touring behind Pablo Honey, and they got really burnt out. In yes. fact, the band almost broke up. Uh, mm-hmm. it, there was this alienating feeling between Tom York and the rest of the band, like he didn't want to do it anymore, that they were just going to have this single identity of creep, and they luckily decide to make a go at another album, and somehow, now 25 plus years later, still putting out amazing material. Thank goodness. Um, But, so I want to ask you, like, as uh, if you had a one-hit wonder, (laughs) like, at what point do you think you would get to the point where you were uh, so jaded that you went around complaining about how you had this hit song and like it's uh, you don't want to be defined by this one song? I was wondering how long we were going to get into episodes of this show before I brought up the band Semisonic and the song Closing, Closing Time. Time. Yeah. Okay. The drummer of that band, I don't know if you know this, no. wrote an entire book about oh, yeah, what yeah. it's like to be a one-hit wonder. So wait, was it the drummer? I thought what? I thought it was the drummer. Um, because it was it was the guy who wrote the song. Like oh, Dan something. So so I might Dan be wrong about, who, about who wrote it. But the point is not the book. The point is that there are plenty of people who write one-hit wonders and either regret it or wish that uh, something else had happened in their career, but. At the same time, Closing Time is played in half the bars across this country every night when it's right about time to close up, and that band probably still makes a fortune off that song. Yes, and if, so that, that song was written by uh, Dan Wilson, who is the uh, the singer-guitarist of uh, of Semisonic. Who was also the catcher for the uh, Seattle Mariners for a while. Sure, and he's gone on to be one of these guys who uh, who just like is, is a one-man hit factory because he he won a Grammy for writing for Twenty One by Adele, uh, he won a Grammy for writing a uh, he, he won Song of the Year for writing a Dixie Chicks song in two thousand seven. So one hit wonder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I I I don't think that Radiohead thought that they would have another hit. This album itself didn't have any big hits on it. Uh, they put out Fake Plastic Trees. It right. didn't crack the top one hundred. Uh, they put out, out High and Dry. I think it hit number 78. Uh-huh. This album... Both both songs very popular at my college. <laughs> sure. They were college hits. Uh-huh. This album has sold just under 4 million copies. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not like it's a slouch here. I mean, it made them a lot of money. They toured behind it, but it certainly wasn't a hit like the rest of their albums. In fact, it's their lowest selling album out of all everything they put out, which surprises me quite a bit. It means basically that they can wipe their ass with a piece of toilet paper and put it out now, and four to five million people are going to buy it. For sure. I know that I would. Uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, It smells great. (laughs) Does it smell like Teen Spirit? No. (laughs) Uh, I want to play another track. We're actually going to play track two off of this album, and then I want to talk about the first time I saw Radiohead. Okay. Oh, this song's called The Bands. 
So, uh, oh man, that that uh, like teasing the, the teasing guitar line, like you know, the chorus is coming. Ah, not yet. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, it, instead of verse, chorus, verse, they do verse, verse, chorus. Yes. Uh, um, th- yeah, I, I got to say, I think the the type of Radiohead song that doesn't work as well for me is the are the ones where it like gives me the chorus too soon. Name one. Oh, like like um, let down. Um, one of the ones I said, uh, uh, Black Star, that gives me the chorus too soon. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, uh, they don't do that much on this album. No. And and then there are songs like Paranoid Android where you go, I don't think there was a chorus. There was a right? chorus. Yeah, yeah. And they, they got more and more into that as their career went on. Okay, this, so the first, go ahead. This song to me seems to encapsulate what I was saying about them almost breaking up. Where do we go from here? The words are coming out all weird. Mm-hmm. Where are you now? It's a tribute to, not a tribute, kind of them saying, do we really want to keep going with this Yeah. in, in my eyes? And it's one of the throwbacks to Pablo Honey. It's very crunchy, yeah. loud guitars. It's heavy. It's more simplistic. But it's got such amazing chord changes. Yeah, it really does. It's got a really, really strong chorus to it. And Now, question. Does he say, baby's got the bands, woman. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say baby's got depends. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That too. <laughs> I think he's saying, oh, now. <laughs> yeah, I know. but <laughs> it, 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 it goes back to how I wish that every lead singer would talk in interviews exactly how they sing. <laughs> yes. Uh, they're, like, the only person I can think of who does that is Johnny Rotten. Like he, okay, yeah, yeah. He, he actually sings the exact same way that he talks, like a British snob. Yeah, I think. I mean, I feel like uh, Noel Gallagher, uh, who is who is one of the best interviews in the world. Like, I don't, I don't even know what he sounds like particularly, but he has the same bad attitude as an Oasis song. Oh, but Oasis songs, you can understand every thing that he's saying well, and when, true. He, when he you hear interviews with him you can't understand a word that he's saying I, but it's all brilliant anyway it, it's it's like listening to keith richards uh-huh. yeah uh so the first time i saw radiohead uh was on the ben's tour in 1996 i was actually able to find the show march 25th and on, on setlist.fm that is absolutely mm-hmm. it I, I couldn't believe that the setlist was actually out there either oh I, you couldn't believe a, someone put in a radiohead set list that, that somebody still had it okay, from 1996. Yeah. I believe that every show now is on there, but 
stuff back then, it wasn't as easy as let's go onto the internet. And, yeah, you're right. Or were there, did I think there were Radiohead fans that were so big that were like, I'm going to write this down and keep it for posterity's sake. By by that time, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I, lo- I loved this album, so I wanted to go and see them. And this little known singer songwriter opened up on acoustic guitar who was David Gray. Oh, wow. Who, who went on to have his own major hits, but nobody knew who he, who he was, and he was fantastic. The uh, show that I saw played a lot of this album, a very little bit from Pablo Honey, and they played Lucky mm-hmm. and one other song, maybe, I can't remember which, from OK Computer. So uh-huh. they were already writing for the next yeah. album as well. But... There was an interview with Tom York in one of the local Oregon papers, because I was living in Portland at the time, where he said, if we feel like we've had a really good show, we'll play Carly Simon's Nobody Does It Better in the Encore. And I read this before the show, and I thought, boy, that's that's a weird joke to make. And sure enough, they come out for the second encore, and they start playing Nobody Does It Better. Oh, that's so great. And, and it's Tom on acoustic guitar, and I was like... Yeah, they had an awesome time tonight. So here's my funny story from from that show. My friend Jack, we were just young idiot kids at this point. Mm-hmm. Now I'm an old idiot kid. Yeah, you were like 16, right? I was I was barely 16. Yeah. It was a week after my 16th birthday. Okay. And after the show, my friend Jack decides to jump up on stage and look for something of Tom's to grab oh, as a souvenir. Very mature. And the only thing he can find is a cup of water, okay. which turns out to be a cup of straight vodka. <laughs> the The security grabs him and and throws him off the stage and says, if you ever do that again, you're never coming back into this venue. And it was a venue that only held about 600 people. Mm-hmm. And we go outside. Somehow they let him hold on to the cup of vodka. And we're sitting along the wall waiting for a ride since none of us could drive yet. And somebody's like, hey, Tom's signing in the back. And we walk back to the back area behind the stage and sure enough there's tom and he signs my friend's shirt he signs my ticket stub uh-huh. and my friend jack walks up to him and goes tom i've got your vodka and he I- just <laughs> he just goes he just goes oh is that my vodka and he takes it out of his hand and chugs the whole thing and hands him back the cup <laughs> okay that's a good story i still to this like day that. wonder if jack still has the cup somewhere i hope so the empty old cup uh-huh. of it's got it right vodka. next to the toilet paper. St- still smells it every day. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, what's the biggest band you've seen in the smallest venue? I, I realize this gets real braggy. But yeah, I, I know, and everybody's I'm, got I'm one. I'm curious. Um, I've got I've got a couple. Radiohead is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. I I caught them on their downswing before they swung way back up. Right, I saw exactly. them one one year after this with another quote-unquote unknown band opening for them, Spiritualized, okay. who were hands down the best live opener I've ever seen. Oh, that's great. Oh, my God, they blew me away. And that show was at a venue six times the size of the of the sh- this show that I saw. Yep. Um, so caught them back on the upswing. I would say I saw the Strokes at the Crocodile. Oh, nice. But they were already big. They were just doing a small tour. The only okay. other band I can think of that I brag about a lot is I saw Kings of Leon mm-hmm. uh, when they had just released their second album at Numos and it was half full. There were like four or 500 people there. Wow. And 
I don't love Kings of Leon's last five albums, but their first three were fantastic. Oh, yeah. And they were such young, uh, you know, greenhorns in terms of performance that I remember the bass player faced his amp the entire show. Aw. Almost like just too nervous to face the crowd, didn't know what to do. And and nobody really knew who they were at that Uh point, and now they are enormous. How about you? Uh, definitely, this is easy, uh, Pearl Jam, uh, Roseland, Portland, 1992? Boy, do I not remember that you saw that, and I'm really, um, really jealous now. Yeah, it was like the first show I ever went to that had a mosh pit. Yeah, I remember seeing Mudhoney in 1994 with mm-hmm. a mosh pit, but nobody brags about how they saw Mudhoney in 1994, unfortunately. You can still see Mudhoney in a, in a small club, unfortunately. I, I did recently, actually, yes. and they're still great. But, yes, absolutely. But I was like, this is about the size of the show that I saw in 1994. Yep. Um, and then like the funny one is, um, because I I was amazed by it, but uh, like no one else was, um, uh, was I saw a camper Van Beethoven at the Crocodile, um, but it's it was like around the time that I had the idea that like if Camper Van Beethoven reformed, it would be just like the Pixies reunion because those were equally popular bands. Wrong. I don't know how I got this idea. <laughs> it could not have been more wrong, but it was great because I got to see Camper Van Beethoven at the Croc, and I loved it. They they've never become any bigger though. I know. <laughs> I know one other person who's a huge Camper Van Beethoven fan, and everybody else knows Cracker. Yep. Uh, yeah. That's fine. Um, so uh, let's listen to another one of your tracks. Uh, okay. I would like to listen to uh, My Iron Lung, uh, which... Uh, so I don't know if they've ever actually confirmed that this song is about how uh, the song Creep was their iron lung, uh, keeping them alive. I found an article about it. I don't okay. know if that means that they confirmed it, but certainly you're not the only person who thinks so. Right. So, and the thing I want to focus, well, there's two aspects of this song that I think are just crazy good and weird. Um, so I'm going to probably uh, jump ahead at some point so we can get to the chorus. Yes. So, 
where do we even begin with this song? The stark contrast in between the arpeggiated Johnny Greenwood uh-huh. line that then shreds into that chorus. Yes. It is that is so unexpected it's and it works so, so cool. well. So I want to, can, can we uh, geek out on guitar stuff for a second? Absolutely. Okay, because what's going on with that guitar line, the reason it sounds so shitty in a great way is uh, they're running through a Digitech whammy pedal, uh, which was a very popular pedal from like, I don't know, like the late 80s. It still is, actually. I mean, it, st- it still is, yes. But uh, but it had it had like a, a real moment. And it was it's a pedal that, that it's like a pitch-shifting pedal, so you can like make your car go, is the main use of it. But that's not how they're using it here. He just like dimed it and put it all the way down into like octave mode, so it's playing one octave up from what he's playing on the guitar, but because the technology, the pitch-shifting technology was not very good at the time, that's why you get all those weird, like, creaky artifacts. Yeah, it sounds amazing. It's a warbly effect that makes you think that he's ever so slightly out of tune the entire time, almost. Yeah, or like, or that his guitar is like bad, like like run through auto tune or something. But it's just that pedal. And if you buy a whammy pedal today, it's like the fifth generation, and there's a switch on it for good mode or shitty mode. It doesn't actually say that, but it's like you know original mode because, and that I think most people who get it keep it on original mode because it's not supposed to sound like smooth. Well, it, it depends on what you're using it for, and I won't geek out on that yeah, too yeah. much. I, I've been in a lot of bands with sure. players who who use that pedal, and everybody uses it for something a little yes. bit different, but the way that he's using it here as just a tonal thing is what makes this song. Yes, now, 100%. Now, normally I don't like to jump straight into another song. Okay, let's do it. But I really want to listen to Just because it comes just before this song on the album, <laughs> and We've got to listen to the beginning and the end of this song. So okay. so at some point I want you to skip to the very end. All right. to do that can we even play this, the same song again i i mean we probably should have done those in a different order but <laughs> that's okay that's one of my favorite transitions in the history of and every album ever made is the, is that song ending and my iron lung beginning but really 
just as amazing for me because it's got one of my favorite intros of all time and one of my favorite outros of all time. And that rarely happens on the same song when they're two completely different things. Um, and I love the little guitar answer during the chorus. Right. Uh, during the verse, excuse me. Right. It's uh, another Johnny Greenwood signature yes. ar- arpeggiation. But just that idea of starting it with an acoustic guitar, like, oh, this is going to be a light acoustic song, and it right. just slamming you in the face like that is so cool. Now, yeah. I don't know if this jumps too quickly to the chorus for you because it does pretty quickly. I, I like this one. But but the outro also hits you like a ton of bricks. The the way that the guitar comes in and is so heavy and it's kind of a solo, but it's kind of a rhythm yeah, part. Yeah, no, I, this is this is the closest you get with Radiohead to like, you know, a classic just like pentatonic solo. Well, except the other song that always comes to mind when I think of outros that I absolutely love is Paranoid Android and it ends yeah, kind of right. the same way yeah. where where it's is this a solo or is it written out and it ends extremely abruptly yeah and and cuts really well into the next song um so what would you say is your favorite radiohead song i think uh we we already did okay computer back in the in the laura era um and uh so this is this is it for 90s radiohead i think so this is this is your chance well well it doesn't have to be a 90s track. yeah it it's got to be paranoid android for me okay. it's it's which i've seen you cover Yes, I I have covered it in one band before, and it was one of the hardest covers I have ever learned. I imagine. Yes, I, I have a story about that, which I know you've heard before. But I was uh, I was sitting with uh, our parents at that show, and uh, during that song, um, uh, my dad elbowed me. Our dad elbowed me, and he's like, "That's a great song. Did they write that?" <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> like they did not. They're not even remotely that talented. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, it. it it's just so weird. It takes influence from absolutely nobody. It doesn't have a chorus. It's too long. And they said, this is going to be our first single off Foke Computer. Yeah. It, it's incredible. What about you? Um, so my favorite Radiohead song is also on OK Computer. And it is the one that uh, reminds me that there's a song on this album, uh, Nice Dream, that I think was like kind of the trial run for my favorite Radiohead song, which is No Surprises. Huh. I just saw them, well, I guess it was about two years ago in April of 2017, uh, and they did No Surprises, and it it was one of my favorite moments of the entire show. They, um, they still just do an incredible job with that song. Yeah, that's that to me is a perfect song. Well, uh, wasn't Nice Dream on your list of songs that you want to listen to from this? Yeah, let's do it.
Ah, strings. <laughs> yeah, it's only on a couple tracks on this album. Yeah, um, this song is just so pretty. Um, I I love a pretty song. Since this is a '90s show about '90s albums, uh-huh. uh huh. This is a great time to bring up the fact that. Uh, CD players weren't nearly as common in cars back then, just like CD players aren't common in cars now <laughs> right. for completely or anywhere. Reason. Right. So I drove around a 1995 Mazda Protege for a long time with yes. a tape deck, and I would dub all of my CDs onto tapes. Uh, often I would put two albums onto tapes if they were 90 minutes. Yeah. Somehow, when I recorded the bends onto tape, I had to pick a song to leave off, and this was the song that I left off. Uh. And no, it ended up being a great thing because when when I first recorded it onto tape, I hadn't listened to the album yet. I randomly picked a song, and it was like getting a special present when I went back to listen to the yes. album again and was able to listen to this song and say, hey, here's a Radiohead song that I have never really heard because I listened to everything in the car back then. Like, all the albums that I really got to know, it was from driving around listening to them in the car. Yeah, you know what? You know, I just realized the chorus of this reminds me of. I'm like, there's something where like someone's repeating uh, two words over over different chords. Uh, is the Smashing Pumpkins song "Rhinoceros"? Oh, right, a little bit. You know what's funny is this song reminds me more of that than it does of "No Surprises." <laughs> no yeah. surprises has that arpeggiated guitar line. I know that starts they're out. they're different in a lot of ways, but there there is definitely a family resemblance. There. I I suppose so. I every song we've played so far, I wish that we could play the entire thing because I know what's interesting about this song is when it gets to the center of it. It does this screaming guitar solo yes. that, again, doesn't seem to fit with what's going on. Um, oh, also, the intro of Nice Dream is every be- member of the band playing acoustic guitar at the same time. Which I had never known, and that's kind of I just cool. read across this. So, going back to the idea of everything being an evolution with Radiohead, this is one of these songs that tends to push forward into OK Computer and less back towards yes. Pablo Honey, where they're creating a sound that wasn't just we are sad rock stars from Britain or we're trying to fit into the grunge thing. It was we can do whatever we want with our music and we don't really give a shit what people think anymore. Yeah, the the feeling I get from from this song and from uh, the like the little guitar answer part on the on the verse of just is like. What it reminds me of OK Computer in the sense that it's like these arpeggiated guitars are like sort of swooping in to pick you up and take you on to the next thing like robotic arms. Oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, the last song that I want to play, uh, it definitely has one of those arpeggiated lines. So let's listen to the Street Spirit fade out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It's hard to stop a song. <laughs> Especially this one, because yeah. what I love about this song so much is it's very hard to write a song that builds from beginning to end. Yes. And you just start with this arpeggiated line at the beginning, and then the vocals come in, and they do the chorus unfortunately too early for you but they do the chorus and <laughs> no uh, <laughs> i'm okay with that like it's a it's a it's not like a full chorus kind of it's it's a short you know it's 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 a hint of a chorus so then the drums come in then the next chorus is flushed out with string flushed out with strings and bass and then they build into this kind of bridge type of thing and the song just keeps building yeah uh there's a second arpeggiation that johnny greenwood adds on top as it as it keeps going it's really just an incredibly written song and beyond that it almost feels like a bridge into okay computer yeah for sure what was the what was the lyric there was a, a very okay computer lyric in there this machine will will not communicate Yes, very okay computer. Uh-huh. Now, I don't think of the Benz as a sibling to Pablo Honey or okay computer the way that okay, that uh, Kid A and Amnesiac right. seem to go together, That which everybody knows those albums were, were recorded at the same at sessions. Se- at right? the same sessions and were made to go together. And In Rainbows ended up having a surprise second disc. Mm-hmm. Um, King of Limbs kind of sits on its own. Hail to the Thief is almost a throwback to this sound yeah uh but the bends tends to stand on its own as part of this evolution where it's beyond what they were doing with pablo honey but wasn't quite yet to that sound that that was signature to them on okay computer that made that album so incredibly huge and still so popular today yes so this is a, a time capsule in my opinion yeah of radiohead so. at the time but luckily is what kept them together and kept them going instead of breaking up after their first album and making a huge career mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't even know what to add. Like um, it was, I, I had not gone back and listened to this straight through in a while um, at the, uh, at the time we decided to do it. And uh, I was, you know, it's, it's a very special album. It's cohesive. Yeah. It, it's, it's another nineties album that, has great standout tracks but works so well when you listen to it start to finish yeah from from the planetelix intro to the outro of street spirit fade out it is this perfect kind of bookend to what is to me a perfect album yes and uh, i like hail to the thief a lot that's one of my favorites but it's uh it's quite long and i think they've they've like copped to this that like it uh, it could have been as cohesive as this if they had like edited it a little more. It's true, and you realize that a lot of their albums are much shorter than that. That's I, I think that might be the longest album they've ever released. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Okay, well, what else do you have to add in, if anything? Um, I don't know, like Radiohead. I think I think they've got what it takes. <laughs> I check, think they're going to be. Out. Check I out think this they're going to be big guys. stars. The, these these scrappy young guys from uh, Oxfordshire. You yes. Know? They they were almost from Liverpool. <laughs> oh, they almost. They tried. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, until next time, I'm Jake Amster. Uh, wait, let's tell the people where oh, to find us. Shit. Hiddenjukebox.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox. Come post a comment either place. I just want to know what is your favorite Radiohead song and why. That's a great from, idea. From any, any era. Okay, until then...
I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton. Marvin Gaye featuring Megan Trainer. What the fuck is that? Uh, okay. It's um, Marvin Gaye featuring Megan Trainer. <laughs>